Hello and welcome. We are on the Revival Road with evangelist Chance Walters. If you are new to the podcast, each week we will upload a new message taken from one of our ministry opportunities from all over the world. Our prayer is that the Word of God would challenge you and change you, conforming you into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information, to give or to send in prayer requests, go to our website at www.chancewalters.org. And now, here is evangelist Chance Walters. We hope you enjoy the program. In late 1735, a ship made its way to the New World all the way from England. And on board that ship was a young Anglican minister, and his name was John Wesley. You've heard his name before probably many times, but today I want to look at his life through a lens from the Lord, if you will. This young man had been invited to serve as a pastor to British colonists in Savannah, Georgia. And when the weather went sour, the ship found itself in serious trouble. True story. And Wesley, also a chaplain of this vessel, feared for his life. But he noticed that the group of German Moravians who were also on board, they were on their way to preach to American Indians. And these guys were not afraid at all. In fact, throughout the storm, they sang hymns of praise very calmly. And when the trip ended, he asked the Moravian leader about his serenity. And the Moravian responded with a question, Did he, Wesley, have faith in Christ? This was the question. Sir, I have to ask you, do you have faith in Christ? Wesley said he did, but later he reflected, I feared, I quote, that these were vain words. Did I really trust the Lord? Did I really have faith in him? In fact, Wesley was confused by the experience, but his perplexity was led to a period of soul-searching. And finally, to one of the most famous conversions in church history. After this encounter, John Wesley committed his whole life to Jesus Christ. So powerful. John Wesley was born in a strong Anglican home. His father Samuel was a priest, and his mother Susanna taught religion and morals faithfully to her, get this, 19 children. John Wesley was one of 19, and he attended Oxford later in his life, proved to be a fine scholar, and was soon ordained in Anglican ministry. At Oxford, he joined a society founded by his brothers Charles Wesley, whose members took vows to lead holy lives, to take communion once a week, to pray daily, and to visit prisons regularly. In addition, they spent three hours every afternoon studying the Bible and other devotional material. From this holy club, as fellow students mockingly called it, Wesley sailed to Georgia to be a pastor in America. 
his experience proved to be a failure. A woman he courted, courted in Savannah married another man, broke his heart. And when he tried to enforce the disciplines of this holy club on his church, the congregation rebelled. A bitter Wesley returned to England with his tail tucked between his legs. Hurt, heartbroken, perturbed. He did not know what he was going to do. But after speaking with another Moravian, Wesley concluded that he lacked saving faith. Though he continued to try to be good, he remained frustrated. He was indeed fighting continually, but not conquering. I fell and rose again. I fell and rose again. But on May 24th, 1738, he had an experience that changed everything. He described the event in his journal, and I quote, In the evening, I was very unwillingly, I went to a society in Aldersgate, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. And after about a quarter to nine, while he was still describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart, it grew strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. End of quote. You know, the Wesley brothers were known for their memoirs and their journals. And you can read them, and, and, and they will challenge you in your faith. Really, the, the righteousness that these two men carried still challenges us in the 21st century. But meanwhile, another former member of the Holy Club, George Whitefield, was having remarkable success as a preacher, especially in the industrial city of Bristol. Hundreds of working class people, oppressed, neglected, were experiencing emotional conversions under his fiery preaching. So many were responding that Whitefield desperately needed, needed help. So who did he call? He called John Wesley. He accepted the plea hesitantly, but he distrusted Whitefield's dramatic style. He questioned the propriety of Whitefield's outdoor preaching, a radical innovation for the day. He felt uncomfortable with the emotional reactions even his own preaching elicited. But the orderly Wesley soon warmed to the new method of ministry. While his organization skills, Wesley quickly became the new leader of the movement. So John Wesley was quickly, um, you know, uh, expedited to the forefront of a powerful evangelistic ministry. But Whitefield was a firm Calvinist, whereas Wesley couldn't swallow the doctrine of predestination. Furthermore, Wesley argued that Christians could enjoy the entire sanctification in this life, loving God and their neighbors in meekness and lowliness of heart, abstaining from the appearance of evil, and doing all for the glory of God. In the end, sadly, these two preachers parted their ways. But you can see how the Holy Spirit weaves a beautiful tapestry in the sovereignty of His lead. Every men and women of God have had great successes 
valley lows, but I believe in the end, God knows exactly what he needs and what he's trying to release in the earth, especially through the heart of men and women. And this is what he was doing in the heart of John Wesley. Wesley did not intend to find um, or discover a new denomination, but historical circumstances and his organizational genius conspired against his desire to remain in the Church of England. Wesley's followers first met in private homes called societies, and when these societies became too large for members to care for one another, Wesley organized classes in which 11 members and a leader, you know, they would meet weekly to pray, read the Bible, discuss their spiritual lives, and to collect money for charity. So men and women met separately, but anyone could come be- could become a class leader. We would call these small groups today, but they were really churches that would soon spread all over the UK. The moral and spiritual fervor of the meetings were expressed in one of Wesley's most famous aphorisms. Do all the good that you can do by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all of the places that you can, at all the times that you can, to all the people that you can, as long as ever you can, end of quote. And this was the backbone of his ministry, and the movement grew rapidly, as did his critics, who called Wesley and his followers Methodist. Kind of reminds me in the book of Acts where um, people called us Christians for the very first time in Antioch. It was kind of a cuss word in their day, but it kind of it kind of stuck, a label that we wear proudly. And in Wesley's day, it got worse than name-calling at times. Methodists were frequently met with violence as paid um, ruffians broke up meetings and threatened Wesley's life over and over again. Though Wesley scheduled his itinerant preaching so it wouldn't disrupt local Anglican services, the bishops in the area still objected. They did not like what he was doing. And Wesley responded, The world is my parish a phrase that later became a slogan of Methodist missionaries. Wesley, in fact, never slowed down, and during his ministry, he traveled over 4,000 miles annually, preaching to some 400,000 sermons in his lifetime. Glory to God. A few Anglican priests, such as his hymn-writing brother Charles, joined these Methodists, but the bulk of the preaching burden rested on John. He was eventually forced to employ lay preachers who were not allowed to serve communion, but merely served to complement the ordained ministry of the Church of England. Wesley then organized his followers into a connection and a number of societies into a circuit under the leadership of a superintendent. 
periodic meetings of Methodist clergy and lay members eventually evolved into an annual conference. So it actually became a denomination up under the vision where those who were to serve each circuit were appointed usually for three terms. And many of these prerequisites are still in place today within the denomination. But in 1787, Wesley was registered to his... Um, lay preachers to be required non-Anglicans. He was breaking the mold, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Atlantic, the American Revolution isolated Yankee Methodists from their Anglican connections. To support the American movement, Wesley independently ordained two lay preachers and appointed Thomas Coke. As superintendent. With these and other actions, Methodists gradually moved out of the Church of England, though Wesley himself remained an Anglican until his death. He showed honor where honor was due, and an indication of his organizational genius. We know exactly how many followers Wesley had when he died. 294 preachers, 71,668 members, 19 missionaries, 5 missionary stations, and 43,265 American members with 198 preachers. That's a mouthful. Today, Methodists number about 30 million worldwide. This one man received a spark from heaven, and it literally spread throughout the world. So what can we learn from the life of John Wesley? And I'm so glad you asked. As I was reading information over the past week, some of his memoirs, some of his journal entries, some of his quotes and sermon excerpts, I I was reminded that this man led a life above reproach. And whenever you read the qualifications of deacons and overseers in Scripture, particularly the Apostle Paul talking to young Timothy. You'll notice, I think, in three different locations, the word above reproach is listed first. You must be above reproach. And then he would list other things. But this was the number one priority For men and women who are going to pave the way spiritually, you must be above reproach. Abstain from all evil. He takes it a step further and says to abstain from the appearance of evil. Stay away from the green and the gold, somebody used to say. Stay, Stay away from... Um, What the world says is okay. We live in glass houses. And John Wesley bore this principle in his heart. Where sexual misconduct is a disastrous plague in the 21st century. The same was true in Wesley's day. The same was true in Moses' day. It's heartbreaking to see mighty men and women fall, especially when they have a large public platform. So you and I, we have to be above reproach. Number two, don't beat the sheep. Even though John Wesley suffered public ridicule and suffered great pressure from his critic, 
He never beat the sheep. He knew his arch enemy. It wasn't the people. It was the wolves in sheep clothing. It was the heart. It was the root of all evil. It was the devil himself. And the shepherd's crook is not for striking sheep. It's for striking wolves. You know, Moses' staff, it's got a hook on it to, to wrap around the sheep and pull them out of the pit, not to turn it around and strike them. And John Wesley knew this well. He lived his life above reproach, and he did not beat the sheep. This is a great mentality for you and for me. Number three, people matter. It's a great hashtag for today's episode. People matter. Knowing when to confront error with biblical truth in the life of parishioners is not an easy task. It's not easy. When... When we correct one another, we have to pray and be humble lest we be tempted to enter into evil ourselves. We can't go into doctrinal wars, right? We have to know when to surrender a battle in order to win the overall war. So therefore, our our lips have to be seasoned with grace, salt, mercy, and love. People matter. They matter. They matter so much to God that he sent his son to die for every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Number four, we have to love and give unconditionally. We can't make a distinction between the unworthy and the worthy the poor and the rich, the black and the white. It doesn't matter. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Therefore, we have to give and love unconditionally. Wesley very clearly modeled the unconditional spirit of giving that Christ did and even received some of the same charges against him as Jesus did. Yet he loved like he had never been loved before. And that's why this Methodism is still alive today. The spark is still lit and the life is still giving. Fifth and lastly, we have to practice what we preach. And Wesley was a ferocious uh, preacher, if I can use that terminology. He was, he was passionate. His sermons dripped with emotion. He was an excellent orator. He he spent days and hours on his knees in study and prayer. He, he devoted so much time within the word, even Greek and, and, and Hebrew. He knew the foundation of faith that he placed his life in, and he put it into practice. It's one thing to know something, but it's something different to actually do it. We may not be hearers of the word only, but doers of it also. He fasted often. He slept on floors and travel. He, he, he had little but did a lot 
for the glory of God. And this was a pattern that he implemented for you and me. He practiced what he preached. His devotional life meant everything to him. And this is a gift that many a pastor and seminary student wished they possessed. A tremendous measure of self-control to rigorously apply the practices of the Bible in one's life to the degree that Wesley did. These five things, I believe, are things that you and I can learn from John Wesley's life. He led a life above reproach. He did not beat the sheep. He, he, he knew that people mattered. Therefore, he gave, uncon- he gave unconditionally and he practiced what he preached. But where did the spark come from? If you remember, it came from the Moravian men in the midst of a storm on the sea. This was the first step. And you may not know a lot about the Moravians, but the Moravians started a prayer missional movement that was described as the Second Pentecost. And they had a prayer meeting that went on for 100 years straight. Yeah, you heard me right, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 100 years. They were very mission-minded. It was the beginning of the modern missionary movement, some scholars say. They inspired William Carey, amongst others, but they also inspired John and Charles Wesley. In fact, history calls their movement the Second Pentecost. They were notorious for sending out missionaries to hard-pressed areas, and they heard about this in, in the West Indies. It was a story where there were some hard slaves working in sugar fields because the sugar was the main commodity. But they were notorious for persecuting the church. It's this little island out in in Southeast Asia. And the only way to get there was to be a slave. There was never any Christian allowed to share their faith with the slaves. They were cut off from society. There was a whole breed of people. They were born, they lived, they died, they worked as slaves, and they did not know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 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 some Moravians found out about this group of people and they started to pray, God, what can we do? And one day after a prayer meeting, God spoke to two young men in their 20s to sell themselves to be slaves on that plantation so that they could reach these people. They became slaves themselves voluntarily. They sold everything. They had to buy a ticket on a boat. So they broke the piggy bank. They didn't have anything And they got on a boat that sailed to this little island in the West Indies that was owned legally by a plantation owner all so they could go to preach the gospel to people who would by no other means be able to hear. Now if that's your boy, you might be upset. Two young boys 
boarded a boat and said, we're going to preach the gospel and we'll never look back. There's a chance that you will never see them again. And he's literally selling himself, losing his life so that other people may gain, gain Christ. So the day that they embarked on this journey, this is a true story. The families in the church gathered at the dock of the bay. Everybody's crying. It's a sad slash mixed emotional day. It's inspiring, but others had their doubts. What are these young guys doing? Should they really be doing this? But in the moment, as the rope was being untied and the boat was being cast off from the shore, one of the young men raised his hands real high to the Lord and said with a loud voice, May the Lamb of God receive the reward for his suffering. And that's my prayer. For you today, may the Lord be glorified. May the Lamb of God receive the reward for his suffering. And this phrase became a, a motto for the Moravian movement. A modern day missional movement where young men and young women literally went around the world touching every tribe, nation, and tongue. And one day, a group of Moravians were singing a hymn, Hallelujah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there was a weak faith, little boy, I say little boy, young man by the name of John Wesley. And he was so challenged by their faith, he knew that they had something that he did not have he was not full of the Holy Spirit and fire. And he repented and he turned to God and God filled him and sent him to do the same. And that's my prayer for you today as we conclude this summer series on the fathers of our faith, God's generals. May we know and believe that the God of the Bible is sending you and me to people, to places that may not have the opportunity ever unless we go. As the Father is sending me, so I am sending you into the world to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, to raise the dead, to cast out the devil, and to freely give as you have freely received. God bless you in Jesus' name. This program was made possible by the generous partners and friends of Chance Walters Ministries International. Until next time, we are on the Revival Road. For more information, Download our free ministry app or go to our website at www.chancewalters.org. Indeed, the best is yet to come.